Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. We're part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Joey Dwyer, we will talk about Vanderbilt basketball. It's off-season. What is ahead for next year? It's an interesting show. Lasted about an hour. Hope you enjoy today's episode of the Vandy Sports Podcast. Joey Dwyer joins me. He was our basketball writer all year and did some baseball, too. Uh, Joey, thanks for joining us tonight. Hope you're having a good summer. Yeah, man, thanks for having me. It's good to be back, and uh, hopefully a lot more of this to come. All right, you covered baseball and basketball. Which did you enjoy more this year? Um, it's like asking to pick my favorite kid, but uh, I think I'm going to have to go with basketball. I think uh, yeah. that's probably the answer you expected, though, when you hired me. Yeah, that, that's your first love. All right, I'll ask you another challenging question. What's harder, keeping up with the modern baseball card market or the transfer portal in hoops? You know what? I if you if you asked me this before the Tyron Lawrence re-recruitment, I would have said the baseball card market because it's <laughs> there's a lot going on. But man, I thought I thought my summer would start in early May, late April, but didn't start till June first because I was banning the phone and all that until Tyron Lawrence recommitted. So for now, we'll go with uh, the modern transfer market. Especially things can change so much too. I don't know if you've seen. I'm trying to think of a good example. Uh, Olivier Kamwa is probably one where NIL just feels like dictated that recruitment a lot and completely changed it at the end. Where did he land? Uh, he's at Michigan. And I think I think he was going to end up somewhere else. And people were reporting that. And then about a day later, he committed to Michigan. People were reporting Michigan was completely out of the running. And I can assume they probably made an offer if they were out of the running and then they landed him the next day. Yeah, money talks. Absolutely. Might have for Tyron Lawrence, too. Uh, it may, may or may not apply. I would probably lean towards May. Yeah, I, I would lean that way as well. Was that a surprise to you once he went in the portal? And I mean, that seemed like that dragged on forever. Yeah, so I remember the day he went in the portal, I gave you a call just kind of to check in. And I was telling you, like, I don't know how they win nowadays. If they're behind on NIL, if they're behind on the portal, which it seemed like they were at that point. If you And then you lose your best player who it feels like he has to be the model of development. That's It seemed like this thing was going way downhill uh, in a hurry. And I didn't know if it was time to push the panic button yet, but... Kind of felt like it at that point, but I somehow they got him back, and uh, it says a lot about that program. I've beaten that drum a lot, but it says a lot about uh, kind of how far they've come. And I wrote that in my off-season evaluation that I put up last week. Um, a program that once kind of looked as if it was behind the eight ball uh, in the current sport of the game now has used that to get ahead. That says a lot about the athletic department uh, beyond the basketball program as well. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, gut feeling, NCAA tournament roster or not, as it stands? Um, I think I would probably say NCAA tournament, but maybe a little closer to the bubble than an eight or nine seed, if I had to guess. Yeah, I'm with you. I've seen people say crazy stuff like Final Four and Elite Eight. They're they're not there. But I do think if if you said gun to your head, do they get in the tournament next year or not, I would probably I, I mean I said probably vote yes, but to be honest, I have not taken inventory of everybody in the conference yet. And if you haven't noticed the league tends to land some pretty good transfers. Uh yeah, I would say that as well. And I think a lot of those <laughs> a lot of those proclamations from people about final four and sweet 16 probably came around or the day after June 1st when Tyre Lawrence recommitted. I think that was probably the highest I've seen the spirits of this fan base since I got on the beat and they beat Kentucky twice in a week. So I think it's definitely saying something. 
Yeah, let's start there. I know that his second half got people excited, and I think he's a good player. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say he's probably top twenty to twenty five player in the league. I don't know if he's guy who can carry a team like a lot of people think. I guess we're going to find out. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's my gut. It's an interesting thought. I think there's definitely something to be said there with the splits in the first half versus the second half of the year. Um, what encourages me is that he carried te- the team for games on end when Robbins was hurt. And I think when he had more of an offensive role and was more comfortable, I think people forget also in the first half of the year, he was really adjusting to that role for the first time in his career. It had been Scotty Pippen and Roddy Chapman really taking a lot of the reps in the backcourt. And Lawrence had not been a, awesome player before this year his efficiency wasn't great his scoring wasn't great uh it didn't feel like he had that much of a role he needed to be like a go-to guy and i think he's better suited for this role than he is for that role because i think he's the guy who needs the ball in his hands to be effective but i think more what excites me if i'm a vanderbilt fan is looking at that backcourt as a whole with ezra Magnon and tyron lawrence um and trusting that one of them would have an awesome night, and for a lot of the second half of the season against the better teams on their schedule, both of them did. So if I'm a Vanderbilt fan, I think that pairing excites me more than any one of them individually, but uh, if you go back and watch kind of what he did at Kentucky or against LSU in the SEC tournament, or really at all during February or March, I think he's probably going to be a guy, maybe not an all-SEC first-team guy. I think he would have to take another jump for that. But if he plays like he had for all of February and March for the entire SEC season or the entire season, I think he's an SEC, all-SEC guy in some capacity. I'm not ready to say what that would be yet because I think there's a lot of really good backcourt players in the league. Um, but I think he's an unbelievable addition getting him back. And now I think he'll have a little bit more of a role than he even had just because uh, Liam Robbins is gone. And they're going to need him to be that go-to guy and I don't know if they necessarily needed that in the past um, before Robin's injury but we saw what uh, kind of his role and his volume could look like um, without Robin's also I think what makes him what allows me to think that he could take that jump um, even beyond what he did in the second half he can get his own off the dribble and there's not really anywhere that i find a weakness in his offensive game. I'm sure there obviously there's things I can nitpick, but he can go get his own shot. He can score it at all three levels. Um, he can shoot it. He can play make a little bit better than I think people think. And when you pair that with Ezra Mignon and then an open up, opened up floor, which I think Vanderbilt will have for a lot of the year, I think it's probably the best basketball move for Tyron Lawrence to come back. And uh, I think probably one of the better situations for him in the country. And uh, everything's on the table for him to succeed this year. <laughs> Yeah, I say that he's probably more of a top 20, 25 type player in the league than a maybe a top five. But to be fair, ever since Stackhouse has been here, they've developed one guy into that top five, top 10 player in the league stratosphere. I mean, you go back and it was Aaron Neesmith was sort of that guy before he got hurt. This was before you were doing this here. And then Saban Lee kind of became that guy, and then Scottie Pippen Jr. kind of became that guy, and then Liam Robbins became that guy. So I don't know I don't know if they've got a guy on the roster that's as good as any of those guys, but I think we're about to find out. And I think you and I sat courtside at the SEC tournament and we watched Lawrence and Magnon take over that Kentucky game and I I do think that's kind of the thing that is lodged in people's minds whether they can perform at that level night in and night out remains to be seen but you can see what's got people excited and I'm not saying it's illegitimate I think I think that's going to be a really really good backcourt tandem I'll just be interested to see if it's if it's really good or if it's borderline elite yeah and i would almost lean borderline elite there uh, i think there's a lot of good backcourts in the league um i was trying to find a scholarship chart that i had pulled up at one point uh to find the exact rosters in the league but i couldn't um what i found 
in terms of teams that can compete with them would be Arkansas, Kentucky, Alabama, Tennessee, and Texas A&M. A&M has Wade Taylor and I think Radford coming back as well. I don't know how Radford still has eligibility. Ziegler and uh, Vescovy are back for Tennessee. Alabama always has a few guards. I think Quinterly's back. Sears is back. Um, they'll have a few others as well. Arkansas has that huge transfer class. And then Kentucky has Wagner, Dillingham, and Reeves announced that he's coming back today. Uh, that was a – I couldn't imagine That's covering a big that. Get. They, yeah, they found out that uh, he recommitted to Kentucky by finding that he moved into his dorm room this morning. But uh, Oh, man. Yeah. Now you that, might want to work on that relationship with your players. Oh, my gosh. He, uh, he was taking classes at Illinois State all summer so he could be eligible as a grad transfer and that really threw people for a loop i remember but uh those are probably the five backcourts that i think could be better than them if they aren't borderline elite like we think but even at that they're probably better than a lot of those groups in my mind and uh i think they're a group that could be at the top of the list there in the top of the league uh if everything goes well and i think for them um just having the team. I mean, this is their team. This is the backwards team. I think probably the theme of the year will be how f- this team will go, how far the backcourt can take it. The rest of the guys just have to be good enough to make plays when they're needed and uh, to compliment those guys. But this is Ezra Mignon and Tyron Lawrence's team. And uh, I think that's probably going to be where Vanderbilt goes. If they're borderline elite, this team can be one of the better teams in the league. If they're all right, this team will probably not be towards the top of the league, as you could imagine. Yeah, okay. Let's. I'm trying to find a place that's got the whole roster in one place, and I'm not finding it. Verbal commits used to be the place for that. I, I don't find that what they do is navigable anymore. And Vanderbilt's not updated its own roster, so I'm doing this from memory. You you probably have it set in stone in your head. Um those got that's your start as the best two players on the team, right? I mean, it would have to be right. That's I can. I mean, I would think you you have transfers that are worth discussing, maybe, but that's that that's my best guess. Yeah, I think Evan Taylor will give them some things. Ben Allen Lubin will give them some things, uh, but those are the guys. Those are the go-to guys in that backcourt. And I think also what's worth mentioning is their depth in the backcourt. Because I think Vanderbilt had good guards in the past, but maybe hasn't had a group of four or five guards that could give them great minutes. This year they had a couple of guys who could spot them minutes. Trey Thomas, uh, Paul Lewis gave them good minutes. But now with a sophomore, Paul Lewis, and then having Isaiah West, and then maybe one of those freshmen um, coming in and giving them some minutes on the wing, I think this backcourt has a chance to legitimately have quality depth. And I think Stackhouse has had depth in his career, but there's a difference between that and depth that you feel comfortable playing in the second half of SEC games. Yeah, I'm really intrigued by their transfers. I, I like guys who are efficient shooters. They got a couple of them. In fact, they got three of them, although Van Lubin is not necessarily a a shooter as much as, in, as an efficient scorer, I guess. But Taylor was a, a guy that shot, what, 40-something percent from three, 80-something percent from the line. Uh, the kid from South Dakota was a really good player, could could pop out and shoot the three, shot, I think, over 40% from three. I love adding guys like that. Now, look, we'll see, does that translate to the SEC? Sometimes you see it does, and sometimes you see it doesn't. But I'll take my chances with shooting efficiency any day. Yeah, I think that's always been the stat that has really carried over the most, especially for guys who aren't primary ball handlers. I remember guys in the past um, who would come into the ACC and wouldn't translate, and I would look back at their roles at their schools where they were primary ball handlers, and you'd look at their tape at an ACC school and they wouldn't have maybe the quickness or the agility that translated, uh, and that really affected their numbers. But if it's an off-the-ball guy like Evan Taylor or Comateros, I think that shooting translates a lot better, especially when you have guards who can get downhill and kind of open up the offense. And I think Vanderbilt has that. So I think you're probably pretty safe with those shooting metrics. And uh, I think the floor will be spaced well enough for those guys to be effective shooters and at least get um, as good of looks as they had at the other schools. Maybe they don't knock them down at a higher or as high of a level. Obviously, there's more length in the SEC and those gyms are a little more intimidating to shoot in, but I think those guys can definitely translate 
at least in that aspect, I think Kamateros is going to have some struggles defensively, and he's a little undersized to play the five at the SEC level. Taylor, I think, uh, will have a learning curve from the Patriot League, obviously. Um, but those guys, I think, if there's one thing you're betting on translating, it's the three-point percentage. Taylor shot something absurd, and I know Kamatero shot 40.1 on the dot. So um, there's definitely something there in terms of how these guys can space the floor and complement their guards. And you just look back at um, if there's a vision with this team, it's going to be guys who complement the guards well. Van Allen Lubin's a good screener. He's a good above-the-rim guy who can get offensive rebounds and offensive rebounds at a high clip. Palmateros can stretch the floor. Evan Taylor is really what you look for in a complimentary piece on the wing. Colin Smith is a really nice complimentary piece who can space the floor as well. So I think this team fits really well together, and uh, spot-up shooting is kind of at the center of that. All right, give me give me your top eight or nine in terms of minutes played in order. I'm asking you this off the top of your head, but I, I trust you to give me a good answer here. Let's go with the – so I'll give you the exact minutes in the fall when we do the um, – what's it called? What's that podcast we did last fall? That we do every the minutes, year. yeah, yeah. This is yeah. this is the uh, the precursor to the minutes. This is the yeah. off the top of your head, not really having to think about it. Hey, this year, Chris, I promise I will not make that listing class and miscalculate it. But, <laughs> that was funny. Yeah. So we'll go with. I would say Monyona probably played the most minutes. Lawrence probably behind him. Um, Trying to think of what order I'd go with the rest. Taylor probably, or I'll say Smith plays the third most. Taylor plays the fourth most. And then Lubin, I think, plays a lot of minutes. Either Kamateros or Dort is probably going to be seventh, I would guess. Uh, I think it's Dort if he can stay out of foul trouble. Um, I think that's a big if, though. Um, we'll talk about that more throughout the offseason, I'm sure, but I think their ceiling's a lot higher if Dort's taking those minutes from the other two bigs. Um, but one of those guys, I think, is a lock for that just because they need minutes in the front court. And then if you're looking past the front court guys, I guess if you consider both, that's probably eight. Nine, I would say, is probably Isaiah West. Okay, did you did you mention Lewis in there or did I miss it? Oh, Lewis. Um, did I not mention Let's see. So I had the Lubin would have been the fifth, Lewis the sixth, the seventh would be the big, and then the eighth would be West. I okay. skipped Lewis for whatever reason. No, that it's all good. I mean, it's 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 an interesting question for that reason because you got to find somebody who's maybe left out who, on first glance, you might not have thought that. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see what they do in terms of ball handling because Ezra's going to play a lot of minutes. I think Ezra played around, what, 30 minutes a game last year? Um, yeah. And then you have Paul Lewis, who's best as a primary ball handler, and then Isaiah West, who, uh, when we asked Stackhouse about him in the winter, said that um, he views him as more of a primary ball handler than he ever had before. And I don't know if West has the size to play um, off the ball as much as a freshman. So it's going to be interesting to see there because I think they have three very capable ball handlers in West, Lewis, and Mignon. And then Lawrence, even at the G League Combine, handled the ball a lot. Um, I think that's something that they I, – I haven't heard this, but if I were to guess what feedback Lawrence got, it's that they wanted to see more playmaking. and uh, That's why he was in that role at the G League Combine. So I think that's also something to note in terms of who could be a ball handler. But they have three very capable ball handlers and then maybe a fourth with Tyron Lawrence if Stackhouse decides that um, he thinks that would be a role for him that is worth exploring. All right, we got a ton of ground to cover in the mailbag if you're ready to, to go there. Yeah, I'm sure, we'll, uh, I'm sure we'll get to a lot in that mailbag based on what I saw. Yeah, we will. Let's start here. Um, oh, I guess I need to read the ad first. Today's mailbag is sponsored by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one have been injured in an accident, please give Taylor or Russell a call. That number 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Five-star door. This is kind of what you just answered, but a little different slant to it. What does the basketball starting five look like for next year and the top two guys coming off the bench? 
I think starting five previews in June are really fun because summer practice hasn't started. So it's really just off your evaluation and uh, not what you've heard from summer practices or anything of that sort. I think it's really fun. Um, obviously, mine's going to look a lot different from other people's. I've talked to some people on the board and about tw- on Twitter about this. But for me, uh, Ezra Mignon would be the one. Tyron Lawrence would be the two. Evan Taylor would be at the three. Colin Smith at the four. And Van Allen Lubin at the five. I think their best five is with a spaced floor and an athletic big uh, with those guards. I think that's the lineup that at least would play at the end of games with Stackhouse. You never know what the starting five is going to be. I remember the first game I covered, I think Noah Shelby started. Uh, so who knows? But I think that's probably their best five. I like Smith a lot more at the four than the three. I know some people like the idea of him downshifting to the three. Um, but I think I like him more as a four and a floor spacer with his size. And um, I'd like to see him handle the ball a little bit more and uh, get his own off the dribble a little bit more before he slides down to the three. But that's what I have for the five. Mignon, Lawrence, Taylor, Smith, Lubin. Top two guys off the bench, I would say Lewis and preferably Lee Dort. I think that's also a guy, if he has a great summer, could potentially be the starter. Uh, But I would probably lean Lubin at that point. Uh, we haven't really seen it as much with Dort yet. We've just seen the upside. Um, maybe Comentero slides in as the seventh man, though. Yeah, if he does something conventional with the starting five, this that'll be the first, I think, s- since he's been here. <laughs> at least right, at the uh, start of the season. It's, it's always some out-of-left-field thing that he'll start with, it seems like. Miles Keefe at Alabama will forever be a Oh, there was that too, right? <laughs> Miles Keefe is good for a walk-on, and I think Vanderbilt has a good walk-on this year and Colson Macer too. Um, but starting a freshman walk-on to guard Brandon Miller is not a decision I would have made. Yeah, that one didn't quite work out. Okay, SR Kane. <laughs> that, was, that was an interesting night. SR Kane, thanks for your work, Joey. Handicap this upcoming season for me in a best and worst case scenario slash outcome. If you feel like it, throw in a most likely prediction. Predictions get you in trouble, Chris. So I will oh. I'll give my best case scenario and worst case. Um, best case, I would say second weekend because I think guard play wins in March and this team has it. Um, worst case, I think, is um, – maybe a little worse than this year just because there's questions in the front court. Uh, we haven't seen it with Evan Taylor yet at a power five school. Uh, he did play well against Wisconsin and Syracuse, uh, which gives me optimism that his skill set can translate, but he'll be in a different role as well. Um, so I'd say second weekend's the best case scenario, worst case scenario, probably worse than we saw this season maybe they don't make that late season push i would say it's probably a little more steady than it was this season because this group's a little maybe not more experienced but i think this group fits better together and will adjust better early on i think the rules are a little more clear for this team um so there won't be as much of a learning curve and that many off nights i'm also interested to see who the leadership on this team is um is it ezra Mignon and tyron lawrence um I know that's something Mike Bray talked about a lot is that he wants this team to be player led and uh, Stackhouse talked about that after Arkansas as well. I was trying to find a direct quote from that, but I'll have to save that for a story uh, that I'm working on. But um, I think if this team can be player led and that backcourt is as good as we think, they could be a second weekend team. And uh, what gives me confidence that that's possible is what happened at the end of the last year where they play their best basketball when it mattered the most. Well, that's that's three or four years in a row where they've they've been playing their best as we hit conference tournament time. So there is that. Okay, NBA door ranked the freshman by potential playing time. This is an interesting one. Uh, I would say Isaiah West probably at one. I think Isaiah West has maybe not an incredibly clear path to playing time, but I think the defense and the um playmaking ability translate and he can probably shoot it well enough to justify putting him at the two if Lawrence has to sit out I'm trying to I don't think there's as many minutes on the table for freshmen this year as there were last year I think there's minutes beyond West I think it gets a little foggy uh Roberts I think can give them some things I'd probably put him at two um I've heard it's tough for me beyond that I think Roberts 
we haven't seen as much from because the competition level of his high school is a little bit lower um, than some others. And he's a freak athlete, so he can kind of get by with some things. I'm interested to see how at the next level um, his skill set translates. I think the key for him is going to be hitting shots at a high enough level. I don't know if he's going to be an off-the-dribble guy as a freshman. He's going to have to defend and hit shots at, at least above 30%, though. Jason Rivera-Torres is the wild card for me. I haven't really heard much about him this offseason, but the more tape I see of him, the higher I am on him. And uh, I think there's maybe some playing time available on the wing there behind Evan Taylor. Um, I think if Stackhouse had it his way, he'd probably rather slide some of those minutes in first halves to freshmen rather than Colin Smith. So whoever wins that battle of Roberts, Jason Rivera-Torres, and Malik Presley will get those minutes. I've heard good things about Presley this summer as well. Um, but that was really early in the session. I heard he was playing well at pickup, but it's interesting because all of them, I have different arguments as to why they could get those minutes on the wing. Right now, I would probably say Roberts as the two because I think um, that athleticism will translate and get him on the floor, even if he's not shooting it as well. Rivera-Torres, I think, probably has the highest upside out of anybody in this freshman class. Maybe Roberts does. Um, so I'm trying to kind of hedge my bet there by putting him at three because I'm not sure if he's fully ready, if his body's fully ready, but I know he can really play. Uh, and Presley, I think, does some good things. He's also a really solid athlete. Um, but again, I think he was the guy Vanderbilt picked up late um, because of that high school competition level. And I didn't get to see a whole lot of him playing on the higher level AAU circuits. Uh, I know he did, but um I didn't get to see it as much, so it's hard for me to evaluate that. Um, but, yeah, I think Carter Lang would probably come in last. Not really anything about Carter Lang, just they have three bigs ahead of him as well. I think it's good things. Probably not when you have Lee Dort, Comateros, and uh, Van Lugan on the roster, though. NBA door, how would you power rank Stackhouse's intangibles as a coach? Uh, God help you with that one. <laughs> Chris, could you help me out here? What what intangibles are we looking? I I don't know. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to answer this one. Uh, um, maybe ability to win a dunk contest in the over forty crowd. I I don't know. That one's really high. Uh, grilling grilling ability. Um, what's up? Grilling ability. Um, press conference hey, quotes could be some- a good one. Actually, he's he's a good quote when he wants to be. Oh, he's unbelievable when he when he wants to be. The one when he said benevolent dictatorship. Yes. Uh, and then said something else in the same presser was incredible. And then when they beat, I think they beat Auburn, and he said they had us buried, and uh, but we're back now, and then walked off. That was and um, we trust the good Lordy, not Lenardi, was a good one as well. The press con- <laughs> the press conference ones are up there for me. Oh, those those are I, I did I missed that one. That was the um, I think that was a week I was in Colorado. Yeah, that was um, that was the day Liam Robbins was out for the year because I remember he walked off at that presser and I was trying to get a quote about Robbins, uh, and he just walked off like two minutes in. But then he, credit to him, he uh did stop after and talk to me about Robbins for a second, which was very nice. Set. Press conference quotes, I think, are high. The dressing, I think, is pretty high. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the, grilling, the suit game is, is the best in the NCA for sure. A lot better than Mike Brace, Chris. I'll tell you that. Um, let's see. I can't. I'm trying to think of. Twitter, I would say, is pretty low on the list. I'll leave it at yeah. that. You <laughs> know, if, if he could just get his head in the right place to just, I don't know, hire a guy, pay him a a quarter of a million dollars, have him follow him around nonstop. And every time he's about to grab the phone and tweet something or, um, you know, or, or say the wrong thing in a press conference or whatever, just tap him on the shoulder and tell him to take a breath. Like if, if they could do that with him, this would work a lot better. Hey, Chris. Um, I don't know if that'd be the best career move for me, but but you're available, like right? <laughs> so if he wants if he wants somebody, I wouldn't be yeah. 
wouldn't be super opposed. But oh, also golf. Uh, I've heard he's pretty good. I haven't heard he's awesome, but I've heard he's pretty <laughs> solid for people who have been at the course at the same time. I'll uh, I'll, I'll leave that one alone. Okay, NBA, NBA door. How have you enjoyed covering <laughs> SEC versus Big Ten slash ACC basketball? Um, I grew up watching Notre Dame play in the ACC, so that was pretty cool. But also the SEC is <clears throat> it's been a completely different experience because I've been at all these games at the SEC tournament. So I would say that's definitely been better. It's been a huge blessing to be able to be in all these settings and talk to all these people. Um, and sitting courtside of the SEC tournament was like the pinnacle of all that. So we'll say SEC has definitely been better. Um, but the ACC, I think um maybe one day there'll be a place for me there again because i think that's probably the league that i'm i feel the most familiar with even after covering an sec team for a year i probably should have checked during the sec tournament just to make sure you didn't sleep in the arena just because you liked it that much i may or may not have left a class early so i could go to the sec tournament at like nine in the morning but we'll leave it at that I'll give you an excused absence for that if they ask me for a note. How's that? Perfect. And also, there may or may not have been one night that I was too late for the shuttle, so I had to walk all the way to um, Nissan Stadium to get my car. Oh, no. <laughs> I would, it was a... Uh, Where was I? There. I think it was the... Okay. There was one game. Uh, I don't know. I was doing something. <laughs> I was there so late that I missed the shuttle. But that was... That was about how that week went. I was there from like nine to two in the morning and couldn't have loved it anymore. I was, I was beyond exhausted that week. That was the week I was, I think, doing that and doing spring practice. I had an out of town trip. I remember I got up, man. I think we left the arena like at two in the morning or something crazy, and I had a six o'clock flight to catch. So, and had a had a family crisis thrown in the middle. That was it. That was a long and tiresome week. I'm hoping n- next next year cannot be any worse for me in that regard. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I think it was they were, who was it? I think it was the LSU game. You're running the baseball story against Evansville, and they went to 18 innings. And I uh, yeah, I was just looking back at you and Aria writing the baseball story during the LSU game. It was unbelievable. That's right. There was baseball in there too. That was a that was a dreadful week, just with <laughs> in terms of rest. Andy Thompson, Chris. Oh man, you have a good memory. I yeah, I remember he pitched in like the 18th inning while Vandy right. was playing LSU because they were out of options. So right. Okay, let's see what's next. Um, oh, view period. Does the team have a postseason, or excuse me, a preseason overseas trip planned? Um, I believe they're only allowed to once every four years. Yeah, I, don't I think, think they that's right. Year. I know Lipscomb was going to, but I think they opted to use that money on better living situations for the players. So I'm sure that's the answer you guys were looking for there. Right. <laughs> okay. Brain 13, looking back, how do you think this staff pulled off that hall of transfers plus keeping Tyron. Um, I think he deserves credit, but also um, what I would say is a lot of that is due to the health of the athletic department and how they were able to adjust to the current climate of the transfer portal in college basketball. I don't think they helped Stackhouse out as much as you would hope they helped Stackhouse out in the past. Um, I don't have knowledge of exactly anything that happened back then, but I have the vibe that right now is probably the most help he's getting from them uh, in terms of NIL and um, just kind of how this program is operating. Um, And I think that was very helpful for him as well. Um, But yeah, I would say NIL is very healthy at Vanderbilt um, and the staff obviously deserves some credit in there as well. But the health of this athletic department, I think, is probably my biggest takeaway outside of any individual player this offseason. Yeah, I think th- this is report not reporting. This is just telling you what we heard. And it, I mean, I don't know how you ever verify this or don't, but it seemed like their ability to write 
two pretty large checks really help their offseason. Is that fair? Yes, I would definitely agree with that. And uh, also, if you want that number, it's on the board somewhere. Probably right. in one, probably in like the 18-page-long Tyron Lawrence thread, which is my favorite thread ever, by the way. Did, did you settle on a final number? Because we had heard ranges, and the, even the low end of the range for me with that one was stunning. Um, I had heard the same number twice early in the recruitment and then didn't really hear numbers after that. I just knew that it was a very, very competitive offer. I'm sure it yeah, probably that, went up after that. I don't have knowledge of that, but um, I ha- I feel like that's not how negotiations work with them just having the one offer on the table and then keeping it there for a month. Right. Oh, I like this one. Uh, I may have to answer it. Is there a chance to see athletes in action back on the schedule now that we need big wins in the early season? Uh, is John Pierce still playing for them? This is from Who You With you. That one might be over your head. It may or may not be over my head, Chris. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, showing someone's age there and, and showing my age that I can actually maybe answer that. Um I was in school with John Pierce, so I don't know if that's a name you know or not, but that dude could play. Mm-hmm. That's fine. If you, uh, if you check the Lipscomb record books, his name would be all over it. So, in any case. He's got a banner not, not in, in uh, Allen Arena, I know. What's that? He's got a banner in Allen Arena. Yeah, well, he deserves one. He was a player. Yeah. It's um, okay. him and Phil Hutchison. Yes, saw them both. I think those are the only two. Because I, I shoot around in the gym sometimes, and those are I'm looking directly at those, like behind the basket. Midge, Midge's VU, the similarities and differences in the cultures of Notre Dame versus Vanderbilt. That's a really good question. I think the academic thing is obviously the bigger tie-in. Um, probably the difference, I would say, is... Um, Notre Dame is going to get kids because they grew up Notre Dame fans. And I don't know if Vanderbilt has that as much. Uh, Notre Dame has more of a recruiting base everywhere, especially in the DMV under Mike Bray. Notre Dame got a lot of guys from there. I think religion's more of a thing at Notre Dame than Vandy. A lot of the times you'll hear guys in post-commitment interviews say that that was a factor. Uh, at Vandy, I don't know that you hear that as much. You hear more culture, and I like the school and the city. You never hear about anybody saying, oh, I love South Bend, Indiana. Um, So that's a difference, the city. Um, That is a good question, though. Um, I definitely think there is a culture difference there to an extent, Um, especially when Mike Bray was the coach versus Stack. I feel like those guys, not to diss either of them, I think were very different in terms of how they ran things. And I don't know if one way is better than the other, but – the day that Stackhouse said the benevolent dictator comment, I went on Twitter and saw that uh, in an effort to stop Notre Dame's losing streak, Mike Bray bought the whole team donuts uh, to try to get their minds off it. So, if that's a benevolent dictator. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. There's also, did you say the second part of that question yet or no? Uh, no, I have not gotten to that. Did you read it or you want me to? Well, I, I guess I need to read it for the benefit of the audience. Um and here it is. Uh, did Vin Allen Lubin choose to go portal, if you will, because Mike Bray moving on to the NBA um, to assist Quinn Snyder at Atlanta, or was it for other reasons? Um, as far as I know, it was because of Mike Bray. I know Lubin was the last one to go in out of that roster. I know, uh, except for Cormac Ryan, I guess, but he, he was a grad transfer. I think everybody assumed he was gone anyway. Um, I remember all of their returners essentially put their name in the portal um, like three days after Bray had announced his retirement. And then Lubin took like a week or two after that. I think it was pretty much just because of Mike Bray, though. Uh, Lubin didn't even really have a chance to meet the new staff. He had no idea they were going to hire Micah Shrewsbury at that point, I assume, because it was so far out. Um, So I think it would be safe to assume that it was um, because of Notre Dame's situation. They were in a complete... I mean, they're in a complete rebuild right now, and Lubin would have been really their only guy at that point. They would have had Marcus Burton, who's a freshman, who's going to be a solid player. 
J.R. Knezny, who's a South Bend native, so that's why he stayed. And then I don't even know who else. Alex Wade, one of the walk-ons, is there still. Um, but, yeah, they that roster was really barren, and I don't know if Van Allen Lubin wanted to go along for the ride. Okay, VU Match 23, thoughts on Mike Bray being with the Hawks now? That was interesting. Um, I don't – I'm really interested to see how he translates to the NBA. I don't know if we'll ever really figure that out. Um, but I think his time was definitely up at Notre Dame. And I think the NBA is interesting that it came out as a retirement. And then uh, it was reported he took the South Florida job and then didn't take the South Florida job and then took an NBA staff job. So I think that tells you probably all you need to know about that retirement and uh, how Notre Dame and him um decided to part ways but uh yeah I think Mike Bray I'm really interested to see I think more than anything he'll probably be a morale guy that's what he's been his whole career and he's done a great job of that um so I think um that's probably the biggest thing I'm expecting from him I don't really know what exactly his role is there though and uh I don't really know how he translates to the NBA although his offense is more geared towards the NBA than college um, in some ways in terms of spreading the floor and all that. BMR17, are we still looking for a third assistant coach who is doing summer recruiting if we are down to a co- if we are down a coach and is James Strong a candidate? At this point, it's June 21st and they've been they've already started summer workouts. Uh, I can't tell you definitively. But I would assume they're probably not hiring anyone else. But they do have a lot of people on staff who are on the bench every day with a lot of experience who aren't necessarily titled as assistants. Adele Harris, I think, was a head coach at one point in with a Division One school. Um, James Strong obviously was mentioned uh, in the question. Um, I think he helps a lot with their recruiting and. Uh, yeah, I think the only actual coaches or actual coaches listed as assistants are Wilkins and uh, Fox. And uh, but yeah, I would assume that those people would just probably keep their roles and have more responsibility than they previously had. But they have they have a lot of people who are on the bench who aren't technically assistants, like Nikki Gross, Adele Harris, um, and uh, James Strong. So. I wouldn't be shocked if they hired someone else, but I also don't know for a fact that they will at this point. That's been publicly open so long. I had completely forgotten about that because they have been down. They lost, man, when did they lose their guy? They lost their guys in what, March and April? Yeah, they lost um, Maz like a couple weeks after the SEC tournament. And then I had, as I heard about Maz, I had heard about Michael Curry leaving as well. So I think that was out there for a while before he actually. Yeah. Those those guys were gone long before it was public, I believe. Yeah. So they've essentially been operating for a while, even without Wilkins. They've been operating for a while. So I think they'll be fine, even if they don't technically hire a third assistant. There's a lot of people on staff there, uh, as opposed to a school like I hate to know their name again, but. Um, Notre Dame had their assistance, and I don't know really how much anyone else was helping them. At Vandy, I think that's probably a little different, although I don't directly have that knowledge. I was told this, man, it's probably been two years, and I don't know what it is now. I presume they haven't gone down. They had, it might have even been the biggest budget in the league for assistance and staff. Like it was top two or three, and it might have been the biggest. Someone I, I remember the conversation I had with someone who was in the know on that. It's it's the the memory of it's vague now, but it was it was shocking how far towards the top of the pecking order they were. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that factored into Stack's reasoning for taking that job. Right, is because he knew he could build out a staff like that. Michael Curry. Oh yeah, Malcolm Turner gave him ba- basically an unlimited budget uh, to hire. I mean, they had a staff of like 18 or 19 people when he took the job, and I, I think that's about where it is now or close to it. Yeah, Michael Curry, 
he was an NBA head coach, right? And Adele Harris, was yes, a, she was a head Women's coach, and she's not even technically coach. an assistant on their website. So they have they have a lot of experienced people in a lot of roles that money probably helped with. I assume. Yeah, I, I think so for sure. Okay, go doors ninety four Stackhouse's recruiting philosophy evolving, and if so, how? Um, that's a good question. I would, I would say I think just um, the prevalence of NIL in his classes is probably going to be noticeable, at least in the portal. High school, I think I couldn't speak to early in his tenure as much. I know about those classes, but not as in depth as I do these recent classes. Um, it's going to be big classes though from here on out, I think. Um, and he's going to swing on some high upside guys. And with the portal, um, he can encourage them to not be with the program if they're not as good as uh, maybe you would think or he doesn't see a path for them playing. So I think he's going to be able to take some swings late in the high school classes like he did this year with Jason Rivera-Torres and Malik Presley, Um, guys who he thinks have upside, but um, maybe guys – I'm not saying this about Presley or Rivera-Torres. I think those guys are both takes in past years as well, but – um, it doesn't have to be a guy he's 100% convinced is going to be a four-year player at Vanderbilt. I think it's uh, – I don't know if he's always had this philosophy, and I can't say this is exactly his philosophy, but it seems that um, it seems that he can take more swings now because of the portal and because of how much roster turnover there is. And if a guy's good enough, he can stay. Um, and I guess he can stay if he's – not good enough as well, but um, ideally it would kind of be natural selection at some point. Yeah, I don't know the best way to phrase this. I, I think this is probably pretty close to it, but and I know that he figured out sometime around the end of year two and the start of year three that uh, just finding dudes and coaching them up wasn't going to work, that they had to have a – a basic level of competency that was above and beyond what he thought he was going to need when he took the job. Right. And I think those bigger classes help with that as well, because he can still develop those guys. Obviously these guys um, have areas they need to improve. And uh, I think all of them are that way, but um, I think he still has room for that development, but also if they weren't what he thought, he even referenced that in the presser, what you said, I think he referenced Gabe Taylor, um, and he was he said something along the lines of, uh, he's a great kid. Uh, we love him and some other guys, but uh, they just weren't fits here in terms of their level of play, but they're great at other schools. And I think he's kind of figured that out uh, as time's gone along, that that is possible. And it's possible to take those guys, but maybe not um, stick with them long term. Yeah, if you had told me a year ago that they were basically going to win a bidding war to keep Tyron Lawrence, and they were going to add, I don't know, what was it, three transfers that are, I, I, w- I would certainly classify as takes, given on, you know, just of those guys. Um, did you hear all that? I hit the mute in there by accident. Yeah, I heard that. You're good. Okay. Yeah, I, I would just – if you told me a year ago that the offseason was going to play out the way it has, I wouldn't have believed you. Between – I mean, transfers have been very historically hard for them to get. I mean, heck, they, they have a trouble getting them in you know, sometimes baseball and football. Uh, between that and the NIL factor, I just – this is a path that I don't think anybody would have reasonably perce- foreseen – a year ago in terms of how they built their roster in the offseason. And then that might – I wonder sometimes – I have no information to back this up, but you remember Candace Lee kind of doubled down on him after the Alabama loss when that was a very unpopular move. And I wonder if in hindsight kind of the need to make that work has made them work extra hard to to make it work. Yeah. I would, I wouldn't think that was, and I, and I have no info there, but it just the scenario by which this off season has gone. I would have never believed you just a few months ago. Yeah, 
I would, this is a question for you because I haven't been around long enough to see this. Um, there's a lot of schools that do this with guys um, that I've seen. It seems to me like Vanderbilt has backed Stackhouse more than it's backed any other coach that I could probably remember in recent memory in terms of facilities, in terms of how they've helped him with NIL, for example, and how they've backed him. And then the staff even, uh, like you said, they had that budget with the staff. Is this the most? Oh, there's seen? there's no there's no comparison. Um, mm-hmm. When Bryce Drew was here, I'll give you two things. They couldn't get a basic paint job uh, to paint over a mural that <laughs> that had Kevin Stallings' picture on it. Uh, now, look, Bryce should have probably at some point gotten a, a grad assistant to pick up a paintbrush and do it himself at some point. But uh, and, and I remember another story they had where they were going to go, they had a road trip to Alabama. They looked at the forecast. It was going to snow or sleet or something. And they knew that if they didn't charter a plane on a semi-urgent basis, that they were going to get possibly stuck in a bus on the interstate going down to Tuscaloosa, which I believe is the way it played out. And, and the school wouldn't spend ten grand for them to, you know, to, to charter a plane because of the money. Uh, and, and then you've got Stack that um, I think has gotten anything and everything he wanted, including again the, the staff budget is. Uh, at or near the top of the league. Yeah, that's interesting. I actually have a similar. I remember with Bama this year, um, it was there was ice storms, and I think they bust back from that as well. Um, but yeah, that was interesting to think about. Uh, before we get off, do you want to talk about Parker Nolan? Uh we we can in a minute. Let's finish the. Well, I guess we did finish the mailbag, didn't we? Yeah, that's why I brought it up. Yeah, um, Parker Nolan, as we're doing this, I guess has hit the transfer portal. Uh, this is shifting to baseball. I don't know much more than the fact that it hit Twitter today, and I think that's one that Tim Corbin had expected to get back. And Man, it seems like they've had a, a couple others like that. I, I can't, I can't think of... I've gone blank on what they were at the moment, but that's one that I, goodness, he's been a guy that's been starting for them since he stepped foot on campus in 2020. Good student, good teammate, does all the things that Tim wanted. I have to think, and I have no info here, that that had something to do with the maybe a grad school issue. That's kind of what I was thinking as well. Uh, with him, but let me be clear: uh, that's speculating and not info. I have not had any time to to check on that. Right. I think the biggest thing. I know a lot of Vanderbilt fans weren't like torn up to see him go. I'm trying to figure out where their left-handed power comes from next year. Uh, I, losing him, losing yeah, strike, I, losing. Yeah. I think people need to be careful what they wish for. I get that he's not an all-SEC first baseman, but he's a he's a usable part, and he's a kid that's been a, a good clubhouse kid as best I can tell, a good teammate as best I can tell, and a guy who's played a lot of ball in this league. And sometimes that fourth and fifth year, you take it to a level you didn't have before when you're 22 and 23 playing against a lot of times 18 and 19-year-olds. I don't know. I, I, get, I get a little... And I guess this comes from a place where I had a nephew who walked on at, at Wyoming and ended up getting a scholarship. And, you know, wasn't a great college player, but was a good one. And actually, he's he's starting in the Canadian Football League right now. He started uh, last week in uh, the second game of the year for the BC Lions, and he's going to start again on Thursday night. Uh, so really proud of him. I guess coming at it from a place where I was in the stands with a family member that – you know, people could or couldn't have said that about a, a guy that was near and dear to my heart. I get a little, and and I get that they're to fans, they're pieces on the chessboard, and you know, with the portal, you can get this and get that. But I don't know. Sometimes that gets, I don't know. I have, I have some issues with the way that that fans talk about 
players sometimes, and especially guys that have been really, really loyal to your program and have done the right things, even if it didn't work out in terms of always what happened in the batter's box. Right, and I think it's a little bit, maybe not for Vandy, but it's a little bit harder to find a Parker Nolan than people sometimes realize. I'm trying to figure out who, I wonder if Chris Maldonado shifts to first next year and is their guy. And by the way, RJ Austin went two for four in his Cape debut tonight uh, for anyone listening. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Maldonado's going to play somewhere. Um, you know, there's talk of putting Austin in center. I know that J.D. Rogers was a guy that they thought before this season could play a competent center field. Of course, that was never going to happen with Enrique Bradfield. But, yeah, just thinking out loud here. It'll be interesting to see what they do in the portal as well, especially – now that they've lost Trek, Bradfield, and Nolan, who I think are probably their three best lefty bats. Yeah, that's a good point, too. But yeah. Hey, we're shifting into baseball on these podcasts. This is what this is what you have me doing baseball for, Chris. Yeah, well, and, and we've uh hopefully we'll have you doing baseball for some next year too. Uh this boy it was a busy year. Oh yeah. Definitely. I would have liked to do more baseball than I did, but it's just hard being at home and everything. Hopefully next year I'll be able to be a little more full-time and be down there for the postseason. Well, and, and that's that's the goal is to, to get you on full-time – or not full-time. You won't be full-time because you'll still be in school. Um, but helping me a little more next year. March just about wore me out this year, to be honest with you, <laughs> just because of all the – and when, you, when you've got the convergence of – tournament play in basketball spring practice in football and baseball and and usually that's a start of conference play and then I had two family things thrown in the middle of it I was man I was beat by the time we were done I'm I'm, I sure am hoping to have you around for next year because if not I, I I will tell you this I will not be covering all three at once I would love that so so Let's hope I'll be able to do that. March was very tough uh, in terms of scheduling for me, too. Also, May was way busier than I expected because of Tyron Lawrence. I could not put the yeah. phone down for the whole month. It was unbelievable. Well, here, here's hoping that this time next year, you know, you and I are in Omaha covering some baseball. That that will be fun. I would love to go to Omaha. So hopefully uh, everyone can uh, help us out a little bit. Quick plug. <laughs> yes, indeed. When we've we've had some help beyond this behind the scenes on that, so we're we're getting there. But um, yeah, m- more is needed. Uh, Joey, any any parting thoughts? Any things we didn't get to today before we end the episode? Not too much. Love to come on more. Also, shout out to Karis Bilal, who has had an unbelievable summer. Had twenty nine. Um, yesterday for Riverwood and was really solid on the Nike circuit. I don't think he was on the main YBL circuit, but uh, was the highest scorer on the second circuit. Um, I think that he's a Georgia guy, a guy I think will be a nice player for them uh, next year, depending on what the backward outlook looks like. But um, Karis Ball has had an incredible summer as well. I wanted to mention him. Hey, Joey, thanks for joining us. Uh, hopefully we'll do one of these again in the, the coming months. And, and who knows, if we're lucky, maybe it's me and you talking football. Yes, that would be great. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, vandysports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at vandysports.com. Follow me at chrislee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.